We are right in the middle of our Prove It series on the book of Ruth. Now, when I think about the word of God and I think about life, uh, those words, prove it, no one really likes someone coming up. Like Michael, if I'm like, prove it, Michael, like, do this. Now, you might. I think you might actually, that might be a good thing for you. I'm not sure. But there's some other people, if I came up, like, in a counseling session and just was, like, real strong, real bold, uh, you would not respond well. Uh, I can imagine that. I don't think my wife would do very well if that's how our conversations went. Prove it, Rachel. I don't think it would go well. Like, we would need counseling at that point. Um, but I think when we look into the Word of God, there's times when we need to seriously let God speak to us and challenge us with a serious message of let's see what happens. Now, we were at some friends, uh, Kellen and Lacey's house the other night, and they do crazy things for games, like crazy things, um, like play knockout in their living room with a basketball goal right up next to their big screen TV. I'm like, something's going to break. It's going to be my fault, I'm sure. So it was really awesome. We got to play. There were probably like 10, 15 feet people playing knockout, running through their kitchen and into their living room to play knockout. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Never seen anything like it before. But then later on, I could not believe what Kellen did is he sent me a video talking about my form in my basketball game. I thought that was rude. I just wanted to be sure that you know. He basically said, you stink at basketball, and I've got the, I can prove it to you right here on this video. It was really awesome and really fun, and I absolutely loved it. But sometimes when we get into the Word, I think God wants to speak to us on a daily basis, and He is a gracious God. So thankfully, if you're like, I hope God doesn't talk to me like that, I believe God speaks to us in what we need. But I think at the same time, God is saying, hey, I've got the video of your life, you could do some things that would adjust your life enough that instead of problems and issues and situations that maybe you've walked into, you could be on the other side of those issues and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for keeping me from that. And you don't even know what that is because you've walked where he has you to be. And so when I think of those words, prove it, I think it's pretty easy for us to come together and know how we're doing if we're honest with God. I think I can look at my own life. And I can see in my own self how I'm doing and what's going on and what the situation of my life is. Now, we are right in the middle of a, a study on Ruth, and we're still in chapter 1. And today we're going to look at 1 in the first few verses of chapter 2. But Naomi is a wonderful lady of the Bible. And her husband, during a famine, took her and their two boys to Moab, the basically enemy land where, uh, yeah, we talked last week, probably not the place that God had them to go. But there was food there, so they went, and they made it happen. They were supposed to just be there for a short amount of time, and instead they stayed, stayed it said, for 10 years. During that 10 years, the two boys married uh, two Moabite women, which would also not be what was the right thing to do in Bible times. One of them was Ruth. During this 10-year period of time, the husband died. Elimelech died. The two boys died. So now you've got Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws. The two daughter-in-laws are of that land, uh, uh, people of Moab and that are, are there. And it came to a moment where Naomi says, I think it's time that we should go back home. We don't have anything here. This isn't where God probably wants us to be. And it says that there was food, once again, back where they were, back where they should have been, in the land that God had given to them. So in the process of this, Ruth decides, I'm going to go. I don't care what happens. Naomi's like, don't go. Over and over, don't go. You don't have anything. I'm too old. I can't birth another son. You're just going to, you know, it's, it's, nothing's good back there. Just stay. 
the one daughter-in-law stays and Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to do what I feel is right. I believe she followed the word of God and all of a sudden you've got Naomi and Ruth who are heading back to the land where they should have been all along without a husband, both of them, with death that had happened, with the situation where nothing really good that the word would say came out of 10 years besides a little bit of easy food. And I think when we look at this story, at this point, it is a straight-up tragedy. There's no other way to look. It is a rough one chapter. It is a difficult chapter to look at. And when I think about this and how this goes, I believe God wants to speak some things to us about who he is, about how he sets up life, about what he does and how he, he brings people together. I believe we can also, and as we close, we're going to talk about an inconceivable God and the things that he does that just blow our mind when we say yes to him and when we say yes to the things that he has for us. So we're just going to jump in this mor morning. And the, the first point is God the orchestrator. God moves at the right time. And in fact, in Ruth 1.22, it says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest. God moved in the right moment at the right time, that when they went back, they went when there was a field and many fields full of food. And in their day, there was a, a rule of gleaning that you could go and that you as a, as a widow, you could go behind the, the, the workers in the field and that they would basically leave a little bit of grain that would be for you and you could collect it legally. You weren't taking it. You were allowed to do that. They went at the right time. And God, when we align ourselves with him, he puts all the pieces together so we get to the right place at the right time and the right moment so that we're where we should be. God knows. And so often I don't think we know. So often we just simply don't know. But God wants to speak and make clear. And sometimes the problem that you and I have are that when God speaks, it's just the do. And we don't see the why. We don't see the what. We don't even know necessarily beyond I'm going to take the step that I feel God has called me to take. And maybe there's even people like Naomi who says, Ruth, you shouldn't even come. You shouldn't even be a part. But we say, no, God said, he put me in this home, in this family, and I'm going to do what he's called me to do. And if you're going, I'm going. I don't know why. I don't know what the future holds, but that's the feeling. That's what God has called me to. He moves us. Because the next verse goes on, and I think he moves in the right person in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a, worth, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This guy, the wording of how it was worded in the Hebrew, uh, identifies Boaz as a wealthy landowner, a member of the upper cl class. God instructed their lives and put them together where all of a sudden they went home to this place in a place where they could find somebody that they didn't know what was going to happen. They had no clue, but God began to work out his plan. He began to orchestrate the plan for Ruth and for Naomi. Something mighty began to happen before they had any clue. The right time, the right person. And then Ruth goes to the right place in verse 2 and 3. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, 
it says happened, just happened to find herself there, happened to pick that field. And I believe that when we put ourselves in the orchestrator's hands, that the happens of God, the things that just happened, happened in miraculous uh, uh, number. That all of a sudden I say, I don't know why I was there. I don't know what got me there. I don't know why I ended up being there, even said yes to do it, besides God said yes. And therefore, I was in the right place at the right time with the right person. I was where God had put me and where he had orchestrated the plan that I had absolutely no clue of what was taking place. And the last two verses continue that he moves in the right way. Because it says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? I believe there's something that we have to look to the Lord to as the orchestrator. That we have to say, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, how are you moving? And then more importantly, Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes to see the hand of God at work in my life? Lord, would you open my eyes to see the step? Would you open the eyes to say, I'm going to leave Moab? Would you open my eyes to say, God, I'm going to take a step and go and glean from this field? Lord, would you open my eyes so that I end up at the field of a rich man named Boaz who is well respected and well liked. Lord, would you put me in a place where you have, have set me up for something good? Because he's the orchestrator and he's the provider. Now, if you've read the book of Ruth, and I would encourage you to do this, you know that Boaz is going to marry Ruth. We're just going to throw it out there. That's where we're getting. Uh, we have Valentine's Day next week. It just sets up perfectly. You can come. Be sure to be a part it's going to be a great day. But she marries Boaz. But can you just imagine with me for a few moments what Boaz was doing not married at this point in his life? Like why in the world did this guy not have a wife? He was wealthy. He was a man that even if he was not attractive, he had everything else that someone would say, I want to be rich and I want to do this and this. And based on the word, I would guess he was probably a good looking man. Why in the world was he single? Why was he not married? And when God orchestrates and provides and puts the things in place, there are things that just happen where I don't have to worry about my own understanding or my own timing or to say, maybe you're young in the room and you're like, oh, I need to be married by a certain age. Guess what? You need to be married by God's age for you, whenever that time is. Because he has the person, he has the plan, he has the direction for you. Maybe your job isn't going how you want it to, or maybe you think you should be farther along. Guess what? God's timing is way better than your timing. Which means if we have to be patient and settle where God has us for a period of time, then Lord, I'm good. I will wait. I will stay. Because he provides. And for Ruth, he provided a man that was wealthy. That was everything he needed to be. In fact, I think we see a few things that he did. And they, that this guy was. We mentioned he was wealthy. Uh, he also was strong. In the Bible, we've been talking about names, and they were typically given for reasons. The name Boaz means strength. So he was a wealthy, strong man. But did you see a couple of the things that we read through there? He was a considerate employer. When he greeted his harvesters, he invoked the name of the Lord. And they, they, in response, did the same. There was a spiritual connection between the boss and his employees. That is not the norm unless you are someone who understands and is considerate and loves the people around him. 
the spiritual dimension of their relationship. It suggests the kind of man that he was. And if you are Ruth, you're saying, Lord Jesus, bring me someone who is wealthy, who is strong, who is considerate, who loves you, who's in your words, who, who talks like a man of God. He was a virtuous man of noble character, literally means good virtue. He had good standing in the community. And all of it shows that he was a God or a man of faith. In our day, he was a church-going man, but not somebody who just went for religious religion. By being in the fields and talking of the goodness of God, he was someone who got it. And he didn't just go to church, but he lived church out in the community with the people he paid that had to show up. He still was the man that God had made him to be. God did something special. And as I begin to think about this and think about this guy, it's like, how do we become something? How do we become a man like him? And in a minute, we're going to talk about Ruth. Now, on Christmas, literally Christmas Eve, I got a treadmill because I hate running outside. So uh, there's some people in the room. I see Michelle back there. They post, uh, Amy right up here, actually. They ran yesterday, I think a 10K, and it was like negative 75 degrees, I'm pretty sure, in the morning. It was pretty close to that. I think 12 degrees or 8 degrees or something, freezing. They did that outside, and the pictures that they post where they run, it's like an ice skating rink is what it looks like. There's, there's snow and ice, it appears, and they just make it happen. They run. Now, how did they get to the point where they're out in February running on ice a 10K? Because who thinks that sounds fun? Anybody? Okay, there's a young man. Of course, one young man's going to wait. That's the only one in the room. Nobody else thinks that's fun. But guess what? How did they get there? They started with the little things. They started with a short walk. They started with a longer walk. They got some jogging in there. They put it together one step at a time until a few months ago, it was 5Ks that we saw about. And then it became more. And then it became more. And now it's 10Ks when it's freezing cold outside because it's the commitment of what they did. So you know how you do it? You start just by running. You start by the little thing. And when you run your first mile and you get to the end and you literally think you're going to die because your lungs are just burning. And then the next time, the mile's a little bit easier. And then a mile and a half and then two miles. And you begin to work it up and you begin to say, Lord, I'm going to do it because I, I want to be fit. I want to be healthy for myself, for my family, for the people around me. And when I think of virtues and making a virtuous life, a reality, it's the same thing with us. Lord Jesus, I'm going to say yes to you on a Saturday morning when it's freezing cold. I'm going to say yes in my spiritual life, which means right after somebody did something to me or right after life didn't go how I wanted to or right after, man, my, my mother-in-law is saying, just stay, just do what you do. You don't have to come, but I'm going to say no. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to say yes to God every single time. I'm going to build stamina in my spiritual life. I'm going to be more in tune with him. It's going to let it be that if I have to be at home for a period of time, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be joyful and I'm going to be happy. Or maybe life's just life and you're going to do your thing. When it's easy, it's easy. When the back hurts, I'm going to still praise God. When the, when the situation with a kid happens, I'm just going to praise God and pray more. When, when whatever it is in my life, I'm going to be virtuous. and I'm going to love Jesus and honor him with everything that I am. And that is how a guy like Boaz, I believe, is at this moment of he's not married and Ruth comes in and all of a sudden it's like, this is a God thing. Why? Because Boaz continued to go, continued to say yes, continued to be who God had called him to be. 
your obedience to God's plan opens his provision for your life. And if you say, I don't know if I can do what God has called me to do, or I don't know if I can be faithful, I just want to encourage you one more time, say yes, and then do it again, and then do it again. Be faithful, let his virtue, let who he has called you to be become a reality till it just becomes a natural thing. It becomes who you are. It's just who you are. That when you go to the field with the people you pay, that you start talking Jesus. You start talking who he is because it's just the natural overflow of your life. You've done it. You've been a part of it. You've walked in him. He's the orchestrator. He's the provider. And I, I think as we continue and look at now Ruth's side, I think he's the director. God directs the paths of the righteous. Notice the steps that she took. She believed in the Lord back in verse 16. And, you know, if, if she would have rejected God or remained in Moab, none of this happens. The future that God had for her would not have taken place if she didn't say yes to the future that God had for her. And she didn't know the future God had for her. She just knew that I need to say yes, and I need to go to the field, and I need to be a hard worker, and I need to do the things to take care of my mother-in-law, because that's what I am called to do. And all of a sudden, the plan begins to come together. She believed in the Lord God. She waited patiently. She was simply taking the step of obedience. She knew in the moment. She lived that virtuous life. Interesting, we don't see in this. No one told her to look for work or care for a mother-in-law. Instead, she took the initiative to provide for Naomi what it was that, that God needed to see happen. God said move, and she felt where to go, and she went. She made it happen. That is the extent of it. Yes to God, yes to God, yes to God. And she was sensitive to God's leading. I believe that her ending up in that specific field was maybe a just happen, but it was a happen with the nudge of the Lord. Those things don't just happen. But when God is moving and when we're listening to who he is, that all of a sudden we get moved in the right way. The God provides, he directs us to be in the same place. And I want you to know that the same God that led the shepherds, Magi and Ruth, he will do the same in your life. He will move in your life. He will speak and he will lead your life. But it comes to, are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to take a little step? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm going to run the race that you've called me to. I'm going to get up from a half mile and feeling like death to a mile, to three, to five, to seven. In fact, I say seven because yesterday, my brother, he sent us a picture. And I think he just is really liking this. He ran seven miles in under, seven, or in under eight minute mile pace. I think seven minutes and 50 second, second pace for seven miles in the freezing cold. I just can't even fathom that. But you know how he did it? He said yes. He said yes. One step at a time, one moment at a time, one thing at a time. He said yes to God. And I believe God today wants to move in some people's lives, to move in your situation, to move right where you are, where you say, Lord, I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to get there, but I can say yes to you. I can say yes to your call, and yes to your move, and yes to what you have for me. Just as I've been praying and thinking, this, this correlation with running, I think is so clear and so strong. It is so difficult. In fact, as a room, we would all fail. I believe all of us, except for maybe a couple that are already running. If you said today, let's go run a marathon, you say, let's do it. Let's do it. In fact, if this was your room, the marathon, if this was 26 plus miles, guess what? All of us would die. Not literally, we would quit before that. But I'm guessing that we would make it, some of us on our 26-mile trek, we'd make it off the stairs maybe. 
Some of us might make it to like mile three before we're like, no way. Some of us might make it all the way back to Michelle in the back corner. You know, we're getting up there like five miles. Like, wow, we're doing pretty good. But I've ran three marathons. You know what happens? First five miles are good. I got this. I'm going to run eight minute miles the whole time. This is wonderful. And then you get to five miles. You're like, yes, I got this. I can do it. And then you get to seven. And this was with a lot of training. And then you get to nine. And then you get to 13. And all of a sudden your body decides it no longer likes you. And it begins to literally shut down. And then you get to mile 16. And you say, I don't know if I can do it. Or mile 20. And literally cramps and all the things you have to deal with. And mile 22. And mile 24. And if it's like me, the best marathon I had, the last couple miles were maybe better, but the ones eight miles before that were death, and I had run much longer. I, I don't know why it happens that way, but what do you do? You keep saying yes. You keep saying yes. You keep saying yes, and I believe God's speaking to some people today that you have to keep saying yes. You have to keep saying yes to God. You have to keep saying, Lord, you move. You speak, and I'm going to move. You tell me where to go, and I'm going to go. And Lord, I don't care if it seems impossible that I'm going to make it 26.2 miles. I'm going to say yes to you because it's what you've called me to do. And thankfully, he doesn't call us to run 26.2 miles all by yourself, all alone, all in one time with no training. He says, would you just at the grocery store, would you just encourage the person? Would you be nice to the person at Tim Hortons this morning who was super difficult? I just want to order food. It's not that difficult. But we can still smile at him when we get to the front, right? We can do the things. And I believe when we add up the little yeses of who he has, then all of a sudden we begin to say, I can make it. I can do it. I can run the race. I can run where you've called me to run. I can be who you've called me to be. We say, come on, the Lord is moving. He's got us and let's go attack Whatever it is that he has for us to attack. But it's all about, Lord, today, am I going to say yes? Am I going to take the first step? Am I going to move and say yes to the Lord God? Because if we do, we can accomplish anything. We can accomplish anything. And God has a marathon of yeses for you. Until the day that we die. He's got yeses that all you have to do is say yes to him. All you have to do is say yes to him. And I believe there's some big yeses in the room today. And you say, I can't make it. I can't do it. I get winded with all the work or the, 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 maybe even it's anxiety or worry or care in your life. Today, God is saying, just say yes. And I'll give you another one. I'll give you another one. You can do it. He's got you. He's got you. Today, God would speak. He would move, I believe. And I'm just sitting on this point for a minute because I believe there's somebody that there's a decision that you are making. And God, he's calling you to something. And now is the time. This is the day. Today is the moment to be all in with God and say, I'm going to get in the blocks. I'm going to run the marathon that God has for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, but it, ah, man. It seems like so much. It seems like so much. How do I make it around what God has for me? How do I make it to, into the things that he would call me to? You know what you do, church? You start walking. You start taking the steps. You start moving. You start going. All of a sudden you say, I can make it. I can do it. I can run. And you start to run what God has called you to do. You run. You take one step after another. You step one. A next, the next, the next. He's got you. But how did you do it? You took one step into who he's called you to be. It's one step at a time. One step at a time. And when you're coming around, he continues to have you. And someday you get to the end. You get to the other side and you say, Lord, thank you so much 
Thank you so much that today, my God, who has inconceivable ideas, his inconceivable wisdom, he lays in the word of God, he puts it here for us. So we can say, Lord Jesus, I'm just gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes to who you've called me to be. I'm gonna say yes to the things of you, our inconceivable God who he gives us unexpected provision. He gives us and puts his unseen presence in our life. He walks with you, he moves with you. At church, he's got unlimited power. That you don't have to say, I don't know how to do it. I don't know if I can make it. No, you can make it because he goes with you. He's right there with you. And today we are gonna spend time at the altar. We're gonna spend time at home, maybe at your couch. We're gonna spend time worshiping. But I encourage you today, don't just read a song. Don't just read a word. But when you say, Lord, what is it you have for me? What's my yes today? What's my yes? And if today it's difficult and you feel like you can't make the the yes that he's called you to, today is the day. Say, God, I can't make it all the way around, but I can take step number one. And Lord, that's all that you're calling me to do today, so I'm going to take it. I'm going to take step number one and his presence, his power, his authority, who he is, the director, the orchestrator, our provider comes and he moves in inconceivable ways that we can't even believe, we can't even understand. The rest of the book of Ruth is ridiculous where Ruth just comes from, but God's got you, and he moves, he brings magi, he brings shepherd, he brings people like Ruth in to meet the king, to provide, and he wants to do the same. If you would, in this room, at home, would you just stand to your feet, would you make where you are an altar, maybe come to the front, maybe you need to kneel at an altar, or come stand, just get alone with God, would you let God speak to you this morning? And if you've never given your heart to him, all you have to do is just say in your mind or just quietly, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my past and I run to you. And when we do, with all of heaven, it says, the Bible says that it rejoices at one person coming to know him because he loves you. He took all the steps, going to the cross, living the sinless life, being raised again and taken to heaven. He loves you. This morning, could we spend time in the presence of Jesus? Could we spend time letting him move and speak? Find your place, your, your, your altar this morning. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are good. And I would thank you, you don't ask us to run 26.2 miles this morning, because we'd all fail. But Lord Jesus, you ask us to take a step. And Lord, I pray that today, every single one of us that hears this word, Lord, would say yes to you the tough decisions, the hard moments, the disappointments, all of the things, Lord Jesus. Ruth walked through every single one of them. Naomi, God, we pray that, Lord, you would help us to continue to say yes, because when we do, we know there's the Boaz moment. You're doing something. You're working in some way, and it might take way more time than we want or we think, but, Lord, you're there, and you're moving, and, Lord, don't let us disqualify ourselves from from your blessing and your provision and your guidance in our life. But Lord, let us say yes to you right here, right now, when we don't see and when we don't know, so that someday, God, our yes looks a whole lot more clear because we're walking in the provision and the yes that you have back at us, God. Lord, thank you today that your grace covers our sin and our sin isn't a, a concern as long as we give it to you. And then.
do our best to walk away from it in your strength. But Lord, our yes is what it's all about. So Lord, help us. These last 15 minutes, whatever it is this morning, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts clearly. Let us walk in you, know you, experience you, and say yes to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Church, let's go after the Lord this morning. Amy has an amazing testimony that uh, she wants to share with us. Of course, I don't like to sing in front of people. So um, Monday, I went to the doctor, and I had some tests done, and she said, your results are very concerning. I need you to see a specialist this week. And so I had friends from England, um, Canada, U.S., Paraguay, Chile, and India pray for me all week. And I was, I did fine. I worked all week. I did fine during the day, but I was so gripped with fear during the night. And um, I went in Friday morning to my appointment with the specialist. And she said, um, after she did my exam, she said, you, you know, your doctor called me and said that you had a large mass, but I have not seen anything concerning. So <laughs> I was so, so relieved. I mean, I still have other tests that I got to get done, but she said, I am very, very hopeful for your situation. So come on. Anybody else want to say celebrate the Lord? I believe he got re just restored, got rid of that thing, a miracle. And I believe somebody needs a little faith today. Let that faith rise up within you. Let it rise up within you. Jeff, come on up here. Another word I think just goes right along with it. He's good. He's got us. He loves us. He wants to be speaking and moving, and he still heals and restores. Come on. So God's been working on me with this song. It's kind of a poem. And, and um, you know, when Pastor Chris was saying that there's somebody here, and now is the time, and I'm like, wow, that's like the words to this song I've been writing. And uh, it's not a coincidence, you know, because when God moves in your life, it's, it's real. And, and, and when you realize that, you can't just sit there and do nothing. So uh, this is called Can't Stay Here. I won't read all of it, but it says, now is the time. This is the year. You're calling us out, and there is no doubt that I can't stay here. You've told me to go, so I'm not going to stay. There's work to be done. And when I've begun, you'll show me the way. So I was sitting back there, and I'm like, all right, do I tell him this or not? So then I walk over to there, and he said, take every step, right? He's running around the, the building, and I'm like, okay, i got to take the next step. So I walk up to the front, and I'm like, okay, what next? What am I going to say? It doesn't matter because once you start, he'll give you the rest. So it says, when you say go, I will go. For every heart and every soul, and your love where it may lead, I trust you to guide. You're on the inside. You're all that I need. So... Just pray for me as I take these steps, and I don't know what that looks like for me. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a day job. I've got a family that's great. I love my son. I love my wife. But you just don't know what that next prompting is going to be, and I just want to be open for that. So, And that's our prayer for everyone in the room, because let's be open for the prompting God has to take the step, to say yes, to, to take one step. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. Savor the presence of Jesus. Have a good one.